All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Miss Sarah, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you? Good. So we were discussing some things about engines prior to the show. Um, We're installing and doing a tremendous amount of engine work. And you brought up some interesting terms. So <laughs> when you hear engines, what 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 just kind of comes to mind? Well, to I'm going to just preference this by saying I am not an automotive technician. <laughs> I am, in fact, a radio DJ. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so uh, I was kind of, you know, making fun you of... Were. You of, were. You were poking fun. Yeah, making fun of you a little bit. And just questioning all of the numbers and letters when it comes to engines. And I was mm-hmm. just kind of... Being like V eight V six point eight five liter yeah. la la la. So what does all of that mean? So have you ever? And I'm going to kind of deviate a little bit before I answer your question. But have you ever watched Fast and the Furious? Yes. Okay. So they did a pretty good job, like putting a lot of that out there in mainstream information, you know. Um, and it's all. It was funny being in the industry as that kind of evolved because a lot of that became popular um, just in mainstream culture, and, and I guess to a certain extent still is. Um, but movies in general, it's it's kind of like if you were, um, you know, basically a firearms instructor. If you watch an action movie with firearms in right. it, you're going to critique it and be like, oh, that's not right. And then you see like John Wick come out, which Keanu Reeves did such a good job actually executing a lot of proper firearms etiquette, education, and manipulation, if you will. So same thing is in effect for the automotive industry. So you watch Fast and Furious. They did a pretty good job. I mean, I could see some holes in it, but whoever their, um, I guess, advisors were did a great job. The worst job I ever saw in a movie as far as like representing things was actually uh transformers oh really yes uh they opened the hood on a late model camaro it was when they were introducing bumblebee i think for the first time it wasn't the old bumblebee this was the new one and they talked about a holly double pumper carburetor and i was like that car's fuel injected it hasn't had a carburetor in like 30 years uh but most people probably you know didn't no skin off their nose it didn't make any difference me however i'm basically like you know seriously it like lost this a bunch is of wrong yeah, yeah yeah let's get this right people but however michael bay did a great job i think he was the uh oh the whatever that put that movie together and, you know, action was great. Obviously, he wasn't focused on the automotive side of things. So if you guys need advice, Sarah and I are here going forward. If you guys need to make some automotive movies, would you do that? Would you would you come and, you know, I could probably do like the videography. I see? took videography yeah. classes see? and We're you can be my there. my tech advisor. So, so there we go. to answer your question. Um, there is a lot going on with a lot of those terms. So if you have cubic inches which is how things used to be. Sir, have you ever heard of a 350 Chevy? No. You heard, you've never heard that? No. Wow. Sorry. You're letting me down. So the truck you and Ryan are looking at uh-huh. most likely has a 350 cubic inch small block Chevy in it. Okay. So that's how big 
the displacement of the combustion chamber is. Okay. Did any of that make sense? Well, I mean, you're like doing things I, I with am. your hands, so I, yeah, it, it so, does make a little bit more sense. Yeah. For the radio people out there, I simulated the size of the piston is what I was doing. So you have eight of those, okay. and cumulatively, you have 350 cubic inches of combustion space inside that engine, okay? Now, your car has a uh, cubic inch measurement, but it's not referred to in cubic inches. It's referred to as liters, right? Okay. Why did that change? Uh, it's partially because of, like, the globalization of the automotive industry. And I'm basically just kind of making this up as I go along. Uh, so back in the day, it was all off of the imperial system, I guess, basically. And then as the industry kind of started to blend, you know, standard and the metric system kind of together... They went to liter size, which is displacement size. And it's a more universal way to put it. Nobody's ever told me that, but that's the way I understand it. As far as I'm concerned, that's why that happened. Okay, that makes sense. So do you know what liter size your car is? Putting you on the spot. I didn't prep you for this at all. Oh, gosh. I should know this. um, But you know what? I'm going to phone a friend, and I'm going to phone my mechanic right here. Fair enough. So it is a 1.4 liter turbocharged. I knew that. I knew you knew that. That's why I asked. I got pregnancy brain. It's okay. It's all good. I'm here for you. Thank you. So long and short, those numbers have a relationship together. So if I have... A, I should probably have done math before I got here to make this easy, uh, but for every liter, there is 61 cubic inches roughly. There's a, some decimal points in there. Nobody cares about that. But for every liter, there's an uh, equivalency of 61 cubic inches in the the equation to figure out how many cubic inch displacement your engine is. So they've gone to liters, but you can do the math and divide it into 61 and that will give you, or vice versa, divide it or multiply it, and that will give you either the liter size of the engine or the displacement in cubic inches, whichever you may be seeking out. So in the Chevy world, uh, you know, so the 350, I think, is right at a 5.7. The 305 is right at a 5 liter, and a lot of people out there know all that stuff, but that's how you figure it out. So sometimes when you look at the engine tag, and this is one of the things that drives me nuts as a technician, there's no standardization across the board. So some manufacturers talk about it in liters, but the majority of them are overseas manufacturers. And some talk about them in cubic inches. And then when you go to service information and need to order parts or know some kind of specification, etc., they will be in the vice versa and you need to do the calculation, which is really simple. I hope out there, if, if you're familiar with this, this makes sense. Um, if you're not, it's really not that big a deal, but you need to know that kind of stuff. If you're driving anything that's probably 20 years old or newer, it's more than likely going to be in liters. If you're driving anything 20 years old or older, it's kind of a mix hodgepodge. And the older you get, the liter uh, didn't really exist at that point in time. So it's one of those things that, you know, they don't uh, have a standard you know, one manufacturer may refer to it in this or that. They may call a certain part this or that. And then the service information is completely different. And then we're going to use acronyms and abbreviations for many different parts. So, you know, this is a constantly evolving industry. 
And that's one of the things that evolved throughout the time. So what do you think? That was kind of a mouthful, wasn't it, Sarah? It was, but I learned something new. Yep, 61 cubic inches. Uh, Greg Allen was my instructor in Monette, Missouri. He's the one that taught me that. Um, that would have been probably in 01 or 02. I was still going to tech school. Aging yourself there. I am. I am. <laughs> it seems to me like that wasn't that long ago, but now that uh, we're in 2022 and it's rapidly... Funny. Yep. Approach in 2023. Funny how that happens, isn't it? I know. And I have been nonstop in this industry since then. I've never taken a break or decided I didn't like the industry and got out and did something else and then jumped back in. Sometimes the business chooses you. So hopefully you're in a chosen good profession. Do you think that helped anybody out there? Do you think people think that this is part of the struggle? You think they understand that? I mean... They're probably kicking me for not knowing, <laughs> no, but you know not what? At all. That's I, okay. So I would venture to say there's probably a lot of folks out there that didn't uh, understand or need to know that, but if you get in a spot, hopefully that kind of rings a bell later. Secondly, Sarah, I'm going to ask you another pointed question. Okay. Have you ever been into a big box parts store and ordered any kind of parts? I have, yes. Okay. Did they ask you if, if it was two or four wheel drive? I, you know, it's been a long time since I've done it, but I'm sure that they did. It, it amazes me. Um, there's certain key indicators and finding, and, and I'm not, there are good parts people out there. I'm not picking on everybody, but you have to kind of be mindful. And it's kind of a running joke in the industry that, you know, you're asking for wiper blades and they want to know if it's two or four wheel drive, or you're asking for like, uh, you know, a front U joint on a certain maker model, which is obviously four wheel drive. And they're like, is it two or four wheel drive? So my point being is, you know, good help sometimes is challenging to find. Um, and I'm not picking on everybody out there. Uh, I'm just really proud of the effort that we have put into our staff and our community that thankfully I don't have to deal with that too often. Uh, but I, I do stop into big box parts stores from time to time. We have commercial vendors we get most of our stuff from. So they're professional parts people. It's not just, you know, somebody's side gig that they're doing, you know, and, and that's okay. I appreciate anybody that's working right now. Um, but having somebody that is truly that's their profession is really really cool and it makes sure a big difference on the tech side of it when i'm working on things to have somebody that knows what they're doing and doesn't ask silly questions so uh sarah and i are going to step into a break when we come back we're doing a bunch of engine startups and engine installs i'm going to kind of air some of that out with everybody here in a moment for complete car care solution a1 custom car care All right. Welcome back. We uh, at the shop, I'm just going to kind of get into business here. You know, we have been talking about what I consider mechanical restorations for a long time. Um, I've been talking about that here on the show for many years at this point because I don't see, you know, back in the day when I first got in the industry, you could buy a pretty nice new truck and a very nice car for about 10 grand. Okay. Well, before the whole pandemic and all that jazz going on, you know, you were still to buy a truck at that point in time, thirty or forty thousand dollars. Like a high end truck was thirty or forty, maybe even fifty grand, three quarter ton, loaded, full drive, etc., etc., etc. That was a, a pretty sweet truck. But that's a lot of money. I mean, they're talking about financing some of these vehicles for over seven and eight years i think before too long and i'm sure they're out there right now as of this show 
financing them for like 10 years. That's a long time to be married to, you know, even a very high payment. You know, I realize payments on boats and RVs and stuff like that, they've put way out there. So they're a few hundred dollars a month. But the price of that stuff is just so high. So the mechanical restoration is my point. Or repower is a term that I learned from a shop owner out of uh, Buford, Georgia. Great shop owner out there. And the point being is, look, you know, yeah, it may cost money to put a new power plant in a vehicle, but it's way less expensive than replacing that vehicle, especially if it's a specific built vehicle. And so that would be like a utility body, a, you know, chassis that you do work out of specifically for inventory or different things. You know, maybe it's got a crane on it. Maybe it's a service body, whatever the case may be. But replacing that vehicle sometimes is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so back in the day when a vehicle was 10 grand and a big dollar item went out, people just went out and got another vehicle and either traded it in or sold it for scrap or put it out to pasture and it sat in the field for, you know, decades sometimes at this point. I'm seeing those vehicles being brought back out into service and vehicles that you have have been using also being brought in and having major restoration or mechanical restoration done to them. Um, I know of a shop owner, I think he's up in Ohio, and he's literally got people showing up and saying, hey, I plan to keep this vehicle, I can't replace it, put an engine transmission transfer case in it, and do a repower on it. Now, we have done a few of those over the years. That's not like an every week thing, but I'm seeing it more and more. More often than not, what is happening is we're seeing vehicles be towed in most of the time and have a catastrophic failure, whether it's an engine, transmission, transfer case, differential, etc. And people are wanting to get those things put back together so they can get another 100, 200, 300,000 miles. And that's really where we're at now. The vehicles that were built, you know, 20, 30 years ago were still great vehicles, but you didn't see them get hundreds of thousands of miles doing repower or extensive maintenance on those vehicles. But the vehicles built in the last 20, 25 years are capable of doing that. And there, it doesn't always have to go down to being a repower by any means. Um, good maintenance will keep that from happening. But when it does happen and you get to 300,000 and she's just tired, then we have a solution. And that vehicle still has the bells and whistles that a lot of us are looking for. You know, it may not have Ford Sync or, you know, whatever other capacity of, you know, integrating your technology together. But, you know, a 20-year-old truck's still a pretty nice truck. It's got heated and cooled seats, or you have an option for that. It's got good drivability, good turning radius, full drive works really good in them. They're still a very refined vehicle. So the reason I bring this up is we're seeing a lot of that start to be a part of our day-to-day business. And, you know, I'm not going to say every day we're doing an engine install, but it's always an exciting point for our shop or our store to do an engine install first start to do a training install first start test drive differential transfer case etc but to do that big of a procedure if you will and to really breathe life back into a vehicle that was at the point that you know really uh, you know in the past years people would have put it out to pasture or discarded it 
that is a lot of pride from a technician side or a shop side that, hey, we were able to bring this back. And yes, it did take a financial commitment in order to do that. But in the big scheme of things, this customer is not in debt 50000 60000 70, even six-figure hundred-plus-thousand-dollars. And we were able to, you know, keep them driving their investment that they've already typically paid off at this point in time. So um, over the years of my career, I have, for my personal vehicles, I've always kind of sought out the vehicles that had a major failure that the the individual or the owner did not want to breathe life back into. So I can't tell you how many engines, uh, vehicles with bad engines that I have bought, done the repairs, got them back on the road, and drove them for many years and many hundreds of thousands of miles. And I'm seeing the you know the general population, if you will, see that same value, even though maybe you can't do the work yourself. There's still that great value in there. And I'll be honest, even for me doing the work myself, it's still expensive. So it's not like that this is a, you know, situation that, um, you know, there I don't have any commitment. You buy a $200 salvage engine and throw in there. That's not the case. The Even the used market out there, and we're not a big used engine installation company. We do a couple a year under very special circumstances. But we're at the point that, you know, it's it's expensive for me to do it for myself, not to mention time is extremely um, important to all of us, me included. But that financial commitment, yeah, maybe it is several thousand dollars to do this or that on one, but that's so much more reasonable and attainable. And really what I would consider financially responsible not to be, you know, $70,000 in debt on a new pickup. And don't get me wrong, I'm probably going to do that at some point, but the ability to drive the paid-off fleet that we have at our home now, um, right now we don't have a payment in our household for a vehicle. I do have a payment on a tractor, but that's what allowed me to be able to finance that tractor is that I basically are budget-wise, I don't have to have that truck payment out there. So being as we have the the you know revenue coming in the house, I can make my life easier with a piece of equipment as opposed to constantly being in automotive debt for your entire life, okay? And then if I do a good job taking care of that piece of equipment, whatever it may be, that makes my life that much easier and it amplifies my ability to do and and manage and open doors for work capacity, okay? So I'm getting off on a little tangent, but I think it's important here. So the older I get, the more valuable I see time is. I'm sure I'm not the only one in that boat. So back in the day, all I had was time because I didn't have any money, right? So if I needed to dig a trench or a hole or whatever, because I didn't have any money, I had the time. I had to do that all manually. And anybody that's dug post holes or done any trenching work by hand knows that that is absolutely real labor, okay? But the older I get and the more I focus on, you know, hopefully being a little working smarter and not harder, then I add the equipment to the 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 equation, if you will. And I realize that, okay, yeah, I'm going to have to spend some money here for whatever X, Y, Z. You fill in the blank on whatever that is that fits your lifestyle. But if I can have or expend a certain amount of money to drastically increase the efficiency and the ability of me to do said job 
and I'm, I'm talking about all the work, whether it's automotive or digging a trench or whatever, whatever most fits you, then, okay, there's a value there, and there's important uh, to pay attention there. It's not always just, you know, do I have the best work ethic out there, and I'll dig till the end of days. No, it's okay. Do I have the best work ethic, and am I working the very smartest way possible? It's a whole different kind of deal. So long story short, I guess to wrap this all back around into that repower discussion, is that, hey, you know, if I spend my entire life and I'm always in debt because I didn't take care of my vehicle and get it paid off, I'm a slave to the vehicle forever. And I don't want to be that. Maybe I'm a slave to a tractor right now. You could make that argument, and I can own that part of it. Basically, I have to work in order to pay for that tractor. But does that tractor open some more doors for me? Does me having a paid-off fleet within our household, and we essentially have four drivers in our household at this point in time, and not making a car payment, does that give me some freedom? Well, heck yeah, it does. And if something, God forbid, happened to one of the vehicles and I had to do some significant work to it, is it worth doing that versus going out and getting a three hundred, four, five, seven, eight hundred dollar a month car payment for the next five years, for the next seven, ten years? Well, yeah, that's a pretty big burden to kind of like put around your neck and have to carry the workload of that. So that's where I feel that the main folks out there are seeing that, hey, yeah, maybe I need to take care of what I got. And we can definitely do that. But I've rambled again. We're down at the bottom of the hour. We're going to step into a break and we're going to pick it up on the other side. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. So one of the exciting things I guess I was alluding to before I got way off on a tangent last segment was the excitement of startup after that large of a service. So I, you know, Sarah and I, we were talking off air and I'm like, hey, have you ever been around a brand new engine starting? Have you ever done that, Sarah? I don't believe so. So I've done that obviously many, many times. I can still remember the very first one. And I still kind of get like that butterflies feeling every time we do Aww, it. Oh, I like love. It is. <laughs> and it's also like that nervous, weird thing when it, you crank it and it doesn't start. It's like, oh, man. You know? I could imagine. Because it happens. So the reason that I bring this up is, you know, you had alluded that you and Ryan are going to do kind of a resurrection on a beloved uh, family member of your guys is basically yes. an old Chevy. Mm-hmm. So wait until that point. I'm basically kind of like setting this out there in the future. At the point that you get to hear that truck start after sitting for, you know, years or decades at that point, it's such an exciting moment. It makes me feel excited it when is. you explain it like yeah, that. It's, yes. It's this like... I realize it's an inanimate object, if you will, like it doesn't have a soul. I'm not saying that. But, you know, there's a special like mechanical kind of connection, if you will, that when you, you know, care and, and, and do all that effort that you get kind of a response from that vehicle that, okay, I got the timing right, the compression, mechanical integrity is good, the fuel delivery is good, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera especially after it's sat stagnant for so long. It's this really, really exciting thing. Now, um, 
with all that being said, I don't know that you've seen this part of it, but it's been a couple of years ago. I think it was YouTube or it may have been TikTok. Um, it was uh, at a dealership, I think, but they videoed a guy starting a van. And if you've ever put an engine in a van, anybody out there, those are some of the worst engine jobs to do because they're basically stuck inside the car. There's no outside service or very little. And they videoed the startup, which is cool. You know, I've done that. I've done, I've videoed a lot of startups over the years. A lot of them are in my phone for different things, and I'll scroll through and look at them from time to time. But his friend, and for everybody out there, I'm using air quotes because he was not a friend who did this. But as it started up, he took a wrench, and it had a steel bumper. And then as the engine fired up, he tapped it on the uh, the steel bumper oh, to no. sound like there was a problem in the engine. Oh, man. And so the guy, you know, that had done all this crazy work to it shuts it off real quick because that's like that sinking feeling. So you go from this super excited, as you would say, which is kind of true love, euphoric feeling to this like such a pit of your stomach sinking feeling that all that work was for nothing because there's a problem with this engine. And unfortunately, I've I've put in bad engines before. It does happen. Um, you know, parts fail. Craftsmanship, whoever built the engine, sometimes isn't 100% right. But it was kind of a gag, you know. So later, you know, they're like, really, man, that's not cool. I mean, it's funny. Depends on which side of the coin you're on. It's funny from this side of it. Like, ha-ha, gag, gotcha, blah, blah, blah. And then from the other side of it, it's like, dude, I have spent you know, sometimes a week doing an engine install. Now, some of the haters out there are going to be like, it takes you a week to put an engine in. Well, no, not every car. Sometimes I can do it in a day or two. Uh, But that's not a process that we hurry by any means. I'm not wanting to increase time and and cycle vehicles in with that kind of large repairs very quickly. That's, that's, I'm not interested in that. That's not what we do. And secondly, yeah, if I'm putting an engine in a van or something, yeah, it's probably going to take me a week because those are a pain in the tail to get to, to to happen. But that first startup is so exciting, so crucial, so important that it just makes such a big, big difference uh, when everything goes well that you took your time. You built whatever accessory systems or components around that engine correctly. So, for instance, you know, new pulleys, new hoses, new belts, good quality fluid. You got everything hooked back up the way it was. You got the routing of the wiring, all the vacuum lines or supply system correct. And you've got everything ready to go before you rush through and try and start the vehicle. Um I've seen some crazy stuff over the years. Um, It was at a heavy truck shop. I wasn't actually working there, but I was there picking up parts one time. And they had a vehicle that they were doing, I think, just a preventive maintenance service on. And it was a younger technician. He did prime the oil filters when he put them on, but he never put any oil back in the engine. And so thankfully, one of the senior techs caught it before anything catastrophic happened. Uh, another time I was still in tech school at this point and I was kind of shadowing a gentleman who was a very good technician, very, very good technician. He had just put an engine in his personal kind of race car. He was building a performance street car and started it up and had the timing light going. Engine was running good. And all of a sudden the, the RPM or the revolutions per minute slowed down and, you know, he's revving it up and trying some different things. And all of a sudden, that engine just locked up tighter than a drum, would not turn. 
And he looked over on his toolbox, and the oil and filter were still on his toolbox. Never got installed in that brand new engine. You know, we get in a hurry, we get excited, and we don't go through those details. So typically what we do at A1 Custom is we have a little bit of a team set up. So, you know, there's more than one person there for engine startup. There's more than one person kind of giving it a once over, looking at everything, checking pressures, checking gauges, checking fluid levels. And then if something does happen and we have a fluid leak or we don't have a pressure that comes up right or we get an audible noise that shouldn't be there, we can key in on it very quickly before hopefully any damage is done. So that is our normal process as well as most of our engine transmission transfer case comes with a minimum of a three-year 36,000-mile warranty. Sometimes if it is a, a application that we put a used engine in or used driveline component it may not come with the three-year warranty sometimes it's a one-year warranty but that's very rare or we have some engine applications that we're pushing out there with a five-year 50,000 mile warranty which i think is a very strong strong warranty and what you're getting for that investment is the peace of mind and basically i explain this to the customers that essentially that engine or that transmission or whatever is mine for the allotted time of whatever the warranty is And I take our warranties pretty seriously. Um, God forbid something happen, we will be there, and that's ours, and we will take care of it. Even if you're out in Florida on a lot of our stuff or Colorado or, you know, across the country, I did have a a failure on a Subaru out in Colorado a couple years back, and our warranty is so strong that it was paid for and taken care of with no money out of the customer's pocket, even though A1 didn't take care of the job. So the peace of mind, essentially, is what I'm talking about here. So, yeah, you got a vehicle that you own outright, and you do a large repair, something, engine, transmission, etc. You know, we're going to take ownership of the uh, repair for the allotted amount of time, and that's what you get, or that's what we have different than most other facilities, that we're going to take care of that and be there, and you don't really have to sweat it. Yeah, if something happens, that's a bummer deal. Don't get me wrong. But if it does happen, you have somebody there to basically push that stress or that problem off to, and that's essentially what we do. We take that stress, we take that problem, and we figure out how to work through it, what we're going to do about it, and when we can get the vehicle back to you without you really having to do a whole bunch. You know, I I go and I buy different things, you know, as we all do, and everybody wants to sell this extended warranty, this blah, blah, blah. And it's typically, and this is just my experience, I'm not saying all of them out there, but I have ponied up the table and bought, you know, this or that. Um, And usually it's so much hassle and so much red tape that blah, 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 we won't do this, we want this, blah, all this garbage, that I end up fixing it myself and I don't even take time to jack with all their crap or I just go and get a new one. So when we put our stuff together, instead of you having to jump through all those hoops, we are going to take care of that stuff. We are going to make that easy instead of, you know, all the burden of proof, if you will, not to not to jump on, uh, you know, the legal side of the world. But the burden of proof is typically what they put on you when you buy those extended warranties to get paid on them. And they never pan out. At least they don't for me. I think it's complete uh, money grab, in my opinion, on a lot of that stuff but 
we own that. We keep all that in house. We don't uh, sublet all that stuff. Now, if you're out in, you know, away from A1 Custom, we do have a process and a company that helps us with that. Uh, but like I said, the gentleman out in Colorado, I took care of, you know, some of the liaison between the two from Springfield, Missouri here. And we were able to get him taken care of, and he didn't have any money out of pocket. I made a follow-up call to him, I think, uh, I don't know, about a week later, and he said, yeah, they took care of it. His, actually, his son was using it, I think, out there for college, and uh, he was very appreciative. He's like, man, that's great. They took care of it. He was at a very good facility out there. I think Aspen Automotive was the company that we worked with, and they were rock stars, top, top-shelf folks. They reached out, and we were able to get their situation worked out from afar, so... We are going to step into one more break. Sarah and I will be back in a moment. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. All right, Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. You know what I've been seeing circle around on the old interweb, Sarah? What's that? Everybody's talking about gas prices. Oh. You believe that? No. So I did find some. Everybody's kind of jumping on the gas uh, savings bandwagon. Mm-hmm. So you had some good ones. You are a uh, uh, Sam's Club yep. person, right? Yep. You still doing that? I am. Yeah. Actually, I got gas there um, not too terribly long ago, and I think it was like 20 cents cheaper. Wow. It was worth driving to the other side of town. Yeah, savings. So I, uh, I'm not a Sam's person. I have a Sam's car, and I, mm-hmm. you know, Stacy and I go there, but uh, I don't like to wait in line. I don't blame you. I'm kind of like a little stickler about that. I don't blame I, you. Time do, is valuable to do me. Do you use uh, like gas apps? Yeah. So this is not. We're not sponsored. Sarah and I are not sponsored by Gas Buddy. I think that's the app I got. Mm-hmm. Uh, that dude's awesome. Yeah. So you know, I do a lot of traveling, and I think I got a little ping yesterday because gas prices were fluctuating as they as they are going to continue to do apparently. But I have found some 20 and 30 cent savings in my travels. Hey, there you go. And uh, I have even, as I say, time is important and and that's a big thing to me. Uh, I've gotten out after I've like gotten home. You know, we live kind of not real far out, but I was looking at some of the fuel prices and I saw one of the stations in Republic. They were, I think, like 38 cents cheaper than even Sam's because I did check Sam's. Because Stacy's a Sam's, she she does that. I'm not really close to a Sam's, so I guess that's the other reason I don't really use Sam's. Right. It I would have to drive like 20 miles in order to go to Sam's, which defeats the yeah. purpose. So my, uh, like I said, not sponsored. Sarah and I are not sponsored by Gas Buddy, but uh, this is just a real world uh, kind of uh, man. It's saved me a few bucks. Have you heard of that other one? I think it's called Get Upside. I have heard of that. I have no experience with that. That's where they like they pay you on the flip side, basically. I believe so. I've heard a lot of ads for mm-hmm. it on you know different podcasts and things like that. I've never looked into it, but maybe we should look into that yeah. and see how that works. That would be well worth. And if somebody out there has done yeah. it, let us know. Give us some feedback, and we'll kind of talk about it because we're all in the same boat here. You know, we're basically kind of trying to get a, what I say a deal. You know, I think about gas. You know. Two and a half, three years ago, it was a buck less than a buck fifty. Let's just say that. And so now, um, I was uh, keeping up on some folks out in California, and I think they were north of six bucks or something, which is just unbelievable. I so, can imagine. Yeah, 
So if I can save like, you know, 30, 50 cents, whatever, I would probably wait in line. I'm just going to say that. And as a matter of fact, I did have to wait in line now that I was thinking there was only one person in front of me, but I did wait in line as well as for just a PSA announcement out there. If you drive a gasoline vehicle and there's an open gas pump, please use that pump. Don't go to the diesel pump where there's a gas pump. And I realize I'm kind of ranting here a little bit. And in, until I owned a diesel pickup, I really didn't you know, think about it. I just thought a pump's a pump. Uh, but there's usually only like one or two diesel pumps at a gas station. So if it's the only one, I get it, use it, whatever. If there's another one open, leave it open for the diesel folks because, you know, just be kind. Rewind. You probably don't even know that reference, do you? I do, actually. Do you? Yes. Did you have VHS tapes at one point in time? I did, yes. I think they charged, if I remember right, like two bucks if you brought a movie back that wasn't rewound. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. They had a rewind machine. That was like a big thing back in the day. And I think the very first VHS tape we ever watched, wow, I'm getting way out in left field here. Uh, you had to, it was a friend of mine, you had to rent the player with the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was fairly expensive, so you could watch. <laughs> A movie at home i'm dating myself a little bit but whatever uh so back to the uh social media stuff it was basically gas saving tips so we talked about saving at the pump right um the second thing was air pressure on tires that's kind of the biggest gimme if you will um keeping them aired up is a big deal ryan was on oh gosh i don't know it was probably a couple of weeks ago yeah and he actually had given us that little tip of the week uh-huh. he joins us uh every other friday out at scramblers yep. when we do the friday road show and you know a lot of those tip of the weeks really mm-hmm. kind of help out but that was one of them absolutely and you know me kind of being an industry person like i'm constantly all the time like switched on um you know as i walk through a parking lot and i hear a car start I can typically tell you whether it started like it's supposed to or if there's something wrong just by how it sounds, as well as as I'm driving, um, I see low tires all the time. And I roll my window down while we're in traffic, and I'm trying to wave and look like an idiot, and they probably think, what's this whacked hard doing? Uh, very seldom does anybody ever notice. You can honk, you can wave, you can make silly faces at them. They never look over, so you can be like, hey, you got a low tire. And so, I don't know, I still try and do it, even though it very seldom works, because people are, you know, in their own world, and I get that, whatever. I'm trying to do the neighborly thing and let somebody know, hey, they got a low tire, because it also ruins the tire. Not only is it, you know, more rolling resistance and costs you more to drive the same amount of miles, but it ruins the sidewall of the tire, and regardless of how much tread is on that tire, if you drive it too long, it is now junk, and you got to have a new tire, And anybody that's bought tires, um, probably previous, let's go the last 12 months, some of those tires have doubled in price in the last 12 months. Every, like, I don't want to say every day, it's slowed down a little bit recently. I would say a couple of times a week, I will get increased notifications from our supplier that we get tires from which is unbelievable. Sometimes it was several times a week. And so it's slowing down. So hopefully it's tapering off. But some of those tires that you used to get very reasonably, or what I guess now I consider reasonably, I didn't at the time, they're doubled in price. And so I, A, don't want you to pay more at the pump. And B, I don't want you to have to buy more tires than you have to. Uh, The second one 
Uh, I had a customer this uh, last couple weeks, and I may have shared this with you, Miss Sarah. Um, he was way overdue on an oil change. Okay, so oil is not only a lubricant. It is a coolant as well, and it does keep the inside of the engine clean from deposits. But he was way overdue on an oil change, so I did an oil change for him, or we did as a company. And he happened to come back in and say, hey, this truck starts better just by doing an oil change. That's great. He could literally hear, and, and he was right. I've I've done enough starts on engines and whatnot. I guess that's what the show's about today. Uh, but the oil had become so depleted i guess if you will and he had gotten used to it over time because it had been a year since he had had an oil change done um and i don't know how many thousands of miles he had on that oil it was full by the way so he had at least kept tabs and kept it full even though he was kind of pushing the envelope and neglecting the service of it uh he came back in and i was like oh man you know what what happened what didn't you know, I thought maybe he was going to complain, honestly. And then he had this giant smile on his face. He's like, man, thank you guys so much. I'm kind of strapped with money, and I finally had enough money to do an oil change on it. And I can significantly tell the difference of how the truck started. I'm like, man, that's awesome. That kind of gives me that, like, jazz back in that, you know, every, it's not always a bummer when, when somebody has a, a problem with their vehicle and it's not unexpected that, you know, that kind of puts anybody in a bad mood, if you will. But this was just a maintenance he had finally saved up, and he was on a fixed income and, you know, trying to make sure he kept his freedom. We're in his corner. We're doing what we can. And for him to be able to notice that, I was like, sweet. You know, that's kind of kind of a cool thing, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, I, probably nobody else out there is like, really? <laughs> that's kind of lame. But Or how would that? Basically, it started quicker, it turned over smoother, and it idled better. All with just an oil change. So that's that was, great. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm going to take this time really quick. I have been absolutely terrible with a capital T mm-hmm. on reading text messages. Uh-oh. I'm always like, I know I'm terrible, but I did save them up. Oh. Um, a couple weeks ago, we did the show on resurrecting my vehicle. Yes. We talked about it um, on the show, actually. Yes, we did. So... I had a couple people message us, and I thought, well, you know what? I'll read these to you right now. Donnie, he said, please do not ruin your truck with an LS swap. So he was getting on to you. He's a purist, huh? Which which I can appreciate. Don't get me wrong. Yes. And uh, somebody also, which I thought was really funny, I'll mention it. They were making fun of my accent. Uh Uh-oh. I know. You have an accent, Apparently. (laughs) Occasionally, I guess it comes out. They said... Sarah, a truck sits, not sets. Uh-huh. And I'm like, you know, I live in the Midwest. Right. It happens. It does. <laughs> but yes. It's kind of like Witcher Did You. You know what Witcher Did You is? T- no. Did you bring that, uh, sorry, I can't even say. Did you bring that wrench, Witcher Did You? Oh, there you See? go. That's, that's, it just happens, that's you know. The Midwest, right? Occasionally there. it does happen. <laughs> um, but yes, if you do ever have a text uh, that you want to send us, you can do that. You can reach out to us on our text line, 417 447 5743. Or if you're like, I have no idea what you guys were just talking about, that show is going to be in our podcast section at ksgf.com. Excellent. I believe it's. Something along the lines of how to fix a vehicle that's been setting in a field. Something like that. Um, You'll be able to find it. If not, just shoot us a text message and say, hey, I can't find it. But other than that, Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. Yes, you as well. Be safe. Bye.